Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome to the show. As you know, we are celebrating National Disability Employment Awareness Month. And what a great month it has been. If you missed it, on Disability Mentoring Day, October 19th, former United States Attorney General Dick Thornburg spoke at the New York Law School at the Tony Quello Lecture Series. And he was phenomenal. If you missed it, I encourage you to go to the New York Law School website and then go to the Tony Quello Lecture Series and you can read the text. It was just a phenomenal speech where he's employing everyone. Don't talk about it, do it. That's what really where the rubber meets the road. Don't talk about it, do it, really is what our guest is all about today, and it is so exciting for me to have a Hearn Award winner. As you know, the prestigious National Award given by the American Association of People with Disabilities, an academic scholar, and a gold and bronze medal award winner from the Paralympics on our show today. It just doesn't get better than that. Sherry, welcome to our show. Thank you, Joyce. And I must tell you, I met Sherry when she did receive this award from AAPD. She is the most modest person. You would never believe this woman is such an acclaimed scholar, athlete, disability leader. She is the nicest person, great role model for all young people to follow, and very well deserved of winning that award. But Sherry, since we have listeners throughout the world listening, maybe you can talk about what what made you decide to become a leader in the disability area, because as I tell everyone who's won the Hearn Award, you're now known and thought of as a disability leader and advocate. What made you decide to do that? Um, that's a great question. Um, you know, when I think about um, when I was young um, in high school, going into my undergrad career, and then beginning to kind of embark upon that the road of professional development, um, I can honestly say there was never any type of, of light bulb or moment when all of a sudden I said, oh, my gosh, this is my calling, and I have to go out and, and pave the road for disability rights and advocacy around the world. You know, it wasn't a, a conscious um, decision that was made at one point. I think it was more um, that I've always been the type of person to um, really strive for for um, the best professionally, and you know, trying to find a niche in which I, I just I think I'm a pretty ambitious person. And I was as I was moving forward academically and professionally, um, I think that that um, I began to see more the inequities in the world around me. And I think that as I started to decide where I was going to take things, um, I think there comes a point in time where you look at, at the activities in your life and what you're spending the majority of your time on, and you decide that, you know, you need to really focus in on something where you feel you can create the greatest impact for the greatest number of people and in a way which other people might not be able to do um, as well as you might. So, you know, there are a lot of ambitious people out there, you know, here at school, uh, you know, every day I'm in class with all of these overachievers, and it's really incredible. And everybody 
kind of starts undifferentiated and then decides along the way, like, you know, what their niche or what their passion is going to be. And I feel like of all the things um, in my life and, all, and because of my personal experiences in history, that going into issues of, of disability rights, equality, and advocacy is the area in which I can make the most unique impact. And so I think that's why I started to sort of go down that road. And you have made a great impact already. You know, that is the thing is that so many people could be what I call an impact player if they would just speak up. So, wow, that's really great you decided to do that. And when you were talking about the people you're with at school, you are a doctoral candidate, doctor as an MD at Stanford. Is that correct? That's correct. And a gold medal winner and a person with a disability. Now, unfortunately in our country today, many people with disabilities have low self-esteem due to really how they have been oppressed or treated or the media or attitudinal barriers. But, mm -hmm. you know, this didn't seem to have any impact on you. You know, you, you did, you focused on your ability. Nothing stopped you. You know, why? What, what, what did you do that was different? Um, you know, I think it had a lot to do with um, a combination of of an inherent drive and then a history of, of where I grew up, um, the history of the type of disability I have, the role models that were around me as I was growing up, um, and all those things kind of coming together to turn me into a young adult who really, really, like the thoughts of, of, of barriers or I can't do this or like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this because I have a disability really never entered into my mind. And I think that a lot of it... Um, a great deal of it goes back to the fact that, that when I was growing up and in the rural U.S., I actually grew up on a farm in Iowa, that I didn't have a lot of other youth with disabilities around me at the time. And because of that, um, I feel like I kind of, I, I, I spent every day um, blending in with everybody and expecting no difference of myself than everyone else. And so when it came time to begin to think about, okay, well, you know, where do I want to go to college? What do I want to do with my life? I know, it, like the, the, the fact that I used a wheelchair never even entered into my mind. It was more like, okay, what do I want to do? This is me. This is my body and my brain. And, you know, these are the things that I enjoy. And this is who Sherry is. And Sherry is interested in medicine and wants to be a doctor. And the whole, the whole, um, logic of, oh, well, wait, maybe I shouldn't because I have this disability or if you want to call it that or because I use a chair, never really entered into my mind. It was more of, of a, um, a, a decision to go with what interested me the most, as any young person would do, and then the considerations of trying to do that um, using a wheelchair then came kind of more as an afterthought. You, you really focused just on your ability and what you could do. I think so, Yeah. Now, I have to ask you, do you feel your family had a strong part to play in all of this? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I, I think you've probably heard the same story from some people. Um, you, I, I think especially when someone acquires a disability at a young age, the way in which they're treated by the um, people in their immediate environment has so, so much to do with how they end up viewing themselves. And, you know, it's the whole nature versus nurture thing. And, you know, of course, some of us are born with more drive than others, and some people are more, you know, introverted and like to just kind of do their own thing and, and you know, are, are, are content to maybe be in more of a supportive role where others are more inherent leaders. And all that is true, but at the same time, it varies a little bit when um, – when 
you know, you have a, a, a physical disability or, or mobility impairment or you just, you know, you fall into this minority group um, of, of people that get around differently or might um, accommodate themselves differently to do the same things that everyone does around them. And then when you fall into that category, then, you know, I feel like, like especially when you're young and you're formulating your, your views of yourself in the world, then then your family especially has a, such a such a large impact in how you see yourself. And, you know, um, I, yeah, I owe so much to them. Um, I was I was never treated any differently. I have one brother and one sister. I was never treated any differently when I was growing up. You know, I, I fought with them just as much as any other kid would fight with their family. <laughs> um, I was expected to help out around the house. Uh, I was expected to do everything for myself that was possible. And, you know, at the time, of course, I didn't realize that that's what was happening and that that was perhaps unique. Um, it was just the way it was. Well, we have a question for you right now from... Uh, a Jake in Kentucky, and that question is this. First of all, congratulations, Sherry, on all your absolutely tremendous accomplishments. I am so impressed with all you have done. My question for you is, what do you do when you want to try to be more independent and reach for the stars, as obviously you have, but have parents who hold you back, possibly in their mind, out of love, but it truly is feeling sorry for you and you can't break that, what do you do? Um, you know, I, I, I guess it depends on how old you are. I mean, if you're old enough that you're realizing that that happens, I think, um, you know, trying to, to to get out as much as possible and to surround yourself with a peer group that is motivating instead of oppressing. And, um, you know, whether that means, like, you know, getting out of the home more and entering into activities. Um, you know, for me it was sports and it doesn't have to be sports, but you know, even if my parents had been more of the the type, you know, that that were um, a little bit oppressive and overbearing, and you know, in a in a way that was kind of in, in almost, you know, giving off a, an, an aura of pity or something like that. Um, I guess you know, even if that had been the case, I think that once I had gotten involved in sports and gone out and been involved with the the teams and the coaches and all the other. Um, youth and adults with disabilities who are out there competing and just, you know, taking on the world, I think that I would have started to to um, be able then to be more self-empowered even outside of, of the home environment, you know, and if, if opportunities like that aren't necessarily um, around. So, I don't know, I guess I, w- I would say to, to do everything you can to try to find that type of peer group or stimulation. And then... The other thing that that can do, I've seen, I've seen many times when I've been working with, with um, youth with disabilities um, in sports programs, when you know their parents reluctantly bring them to the first practice, and you know it's the kid that gets out there in the court. You know they they run out there, they're throwing the ball around if it's basketball, or they're hitting the tennis ball if it's tennis, and you know their parents are sitting there in the sidelines, just as nervous as could be, and you know not liking it at all because they're afraid they're going to get hurt, and you know what often happens is. The kid, you know, then leaves that experience so excited and so jazzed up and, you know, ends up kind of dragging the parents back week after week. And pretty soon you see the parents also begin to change how they view their child and how they view their child's disability. So I think that, that, you know, innovative and active programs like that really, really do so much. Yeah, I do too. And just as you mentioned um, to our listener, I think that, really have to, you know, sometimes just get out there and say, look at me, I can do this. Mm -hmm. And as Sherry said, 
by her doing sports. That's just one example. See what I can do. But we'll right. talk more about that as soon as we come back from break. We are talking to the 2005 World Sports Person of the Year with a disability nominee, Sherry Ann Blowett, Hearns Award winner, and most of all, great disability leader. This is Joyce Bender. You're listening to The Voice of VoiceAmerica.com. We'll be right back. The world leader in Internet Talk Radio. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. At Vendor Consulting Services Incorporated, our mission is to provide superior technology consulting services to our customers while creating career opportunities, independence, and freedom for people with disabilities. While the demand for skilled technology professionals is reaching an all-time high, over 13 million disabled Americans, many of them experts in technology, remain unemployed. Since 1995, Bender Consulting Services Incorporated has worked to solve these critical social and business issues by providing employers with reliable talent and giving individuals with disabilities the chance to display their talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you're a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at BenderConsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.BenderConsult.com in the U.S., and www.benderofcanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom and independence for people with disabilities. www.benderconsult.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Have you put down the morning paper in disgust because they weren't reporting what you wanted to read? Have you wondered why there aren't more women's voices in the news? Well, so have I, and we're about to change that. This is former Minnesota State Senator Ember Reichgott-Young. I hope you'll join me for a new radio show every Thursday all about women on the move. We'll look at what's missing in the news, the issues often ignored in mainstream media, like how does Social Security reform really affect women? Why is the Department of Labor proposing to stop collecting workforce data on women? What role will women play in Iraq's new government? We'll create that debate right here. The Ember Reichgott Young Show will have prominent women you know and inspiring women you don't know. We'll share stories of women's leadership, courage, and vision. We just need you to be part of the conversation. So join us for the Ember Reichgott Young Show every Thursday at 1 p.m. Central Time. It's all about you, women on the move, on voiceamerica.com. The world leader in Internet talk, radio. Internet talk Radio. You're listening to America's Voice, VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, please call toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome back to our show, and we are so excited to have Sherry Blowett as our guest today. 
And Sherry, you know, if you just joined the show, Sherry is a gold and bronze award winner from the Paralympics. She attends Stanford to be a to be a doctor. She is a Hearns Award winner, just an all-around great person. Um, and a question that I have for you, for me, is when you were growing up, what was it like for you in school? In other words, did you have teachers who tried to lower the bar, limit you. Uh, so many people that I interview tell me they have this issue. Um, and, and what do you say to people when people tell you you can't do this because of your disability? Um. Yeah, I think I, I think when I was in school, um, especially in the younger years of school, the experience was a lot a lot like it was at home, and that was again, I was very very lucky and fortunate to have uh, to have teachers and around and people around me who who basically didn't treat me any differently than my classmates. Um, not that I can remember, I never remember the bar being lowered, um, and I think you know a lot of it again had to do with being. Um, Growing up in Iowa in a rural area, you know, the classroom size is always very small. The school is very small. Um, you know, it can be limiting in some ways. We didn't necessarily have all the opportunities that you would if you grew up in an urban environment. But at the same time, um, you know, the, the you know, it's the characteristic of the Midwest. People are very real, down to earth, um, kind and know how to treat other people well, typically. And um and have the time probably to you know to to look at the student and to really um, treat them as an individual and to nurture their development and growth um, to suit their individual needs. Um, and so yeah, when I, I mean when I was in elementary school, junior high, um, in my school environment, um, I, I I was never limited um, by, by anything that I would call a uh, like a my disability causing characteristic. Rather, it was just more like. One characteristic, just like someone, you know, someone else in my class had blonde hair. They were shorter or taller. I used a chair to get around, but it was really just one in another line of things that that made me different or unique. Um, and you know, I do remember a few examples. I remember once in kindergarten that, um, you know, I think it's funny also that I happen to remember these examples because maybe, you know, I say they were just like, you know, it was just one more instance in, in a row of other things that happened, but at the same time, maybe it was more significant if. You know, considering the fact that I was that young and I do remember it. But I remember once um, I was at my desk and we had had some little assignments or something and the teacher asked everyone to turn their assignments in. And I had been getting into this habit where I would ask the person next to me to turn mine in for me. So, you know, we'd all be sitting at our desks and I would hand them, to my, hand, hand them my paper and I, said, and I would say, can you just turn this in for me? You know, under the premise that I didn't want to get up and get into my chair to, to go to the teacher's desk. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember that, um, you know, I did the same thing that day and that after class the teacher came to me and she said, Sherry, you know, I want you to turn in your papers by yourself now. And of course, I said, okay. And, you know, at the time I, I didn't really care or know why or think it was a big deal. But, you know, the fact that that happened I think probably says a great deal about about the, the the environment that I was in at the, at the time. Yeah, yeah. And it was the same in PE. I remember I, I was never... Um, asked to sit out or expected to sit out or even actually given the, uh, given, I, I wasn't able to give an excuse that allowed me to sit out actually. I was always expected to, um, play whatever everyone was playing. Usually I was horrible at it, you know. Um, I mean, if it was something that involved like running around in the gym, of course, you know, in my everyday wheelchair, I wasn't as fast as everybody else or we would play kickball and I would have like a proxy kicker. I remember this, like, <laughs> like someone else in my class would kick for me and then I would, I would run the bases. And um, 
I'm sure, I'm sure that at the time I would have rather just like sat on the side and kept score because you now it was different and it was kind of embarrassing to have to do things differently. But um, I wasn't allowed to. I had to participate just like everyone else. Oh, you know, see, no pity. That's what it's all about. Yeah, oh, of course. That's what it's all about. You see, the people that you said you weren't as fast as they were with your wheelchair, oh, they should see you now. Yeah. <laughs> I would not want to race you. It was, it was all those sports that require coordination that I wasn't very good at. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I remember when Jonathan Young, who Jonathan used to work for President Clinton and now works for Kirkpatrick and works with Dick Thornburg. He's such a great person, Jonathan Young is. And I remember, I think it was the 10th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act that I was in Washington, D.C., and the White House staff played this wheelchair basketball team. Uh-huh. And the rule was that everyone had to get in a chair, including the White House staff. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I saw them come on, you know, walk onto the court with their shirts and ties on, <laughs> and then I, then I saw the wheelchair basketball team with their ripped off, you know, tops. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're going to get killed. How do I know this? And you know, I'll bet no one would have dreamt how hard it is to play wheelchair basketball. <laughs> but they killed them. Mm-hmm. And when did they kill them? They ran them over while they were, you know, playing the game. And it was, it was so great. But it's so great today that even if you're in a wheelchair, you can participate in so many things, you know, mm-hmm. so many sporting events. But getting back to what you were talking about in school, see, it's when you treat everyone the same that people really excel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're I right. Think that's, I think that's the crux of it. I think that, that the important thing is to allow people the opportunity to define themselves and to choose their own path. So whether that be that of the athlete or whether that be that of the, the businessman or the artisan or whatever it might be, it's the, 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 the self-determination and I think that's what we're all striving for, you know, with things like the ADA and with all, you know, the legislation. And in addition to attempting to change the social conception of disability, you know, so that we look at someone and we say, well, what do they want to do? What do they want to be? And we think about their mind and their ability before we think about what their physical environment might look like. Right. Now, Sherry, many people with disabilities, unfortunately, do not think the way you do. And it is, again... I would have to say, just as you're mentioning about your environment, it's because of what they were told from when they were a child and what they were told by their teachers and, you know, what they were told by their guidance counselors or their vocational rehab counselors. But many people think certain types of positions are off-limit to them. They wouldn't be able to do it because they're in a wheelchair or they're blind or they're deaf, whatever it may be. And yet you obviously don't think that way. You're studying to be a doctor and will be a doctor. And my question is, why do you think people with disabilities are often limited by our society to certain types of positions? My example I'll give you is I've interviewed people with master's degrees in finance who were told by people, either guidance counselors or later on even some career counselors, just go to McDonald's. Mm -hmm. You probably won't get a job. And that Mm -hmm. happened just last week. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm not talking about like 30 years ago. Right. Why do you think that is? Um, ignorance and misunderstanding in two words. I think that I think that it's it's the same reason why why someone would have told an African American 100 years ago that they couldn't hold a professional position, or even a woman 85 years ago, or you know. I think that um, that that we we've come 
quite a ways, and but we have so far to go. And I think that disability is interesting. Um, again, if you want to call it a, a minority group, um, because things aren't as black and white as they would be with racial minorities or with or with gender issues. You know, with with, with women, for example, you know, obviously. You know, you see the ways they were limited in the past and the stereotypes and the, the complete discrimination with which women were treated um, in the past in terms of employment and civil rights. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's obvious, and, you know, once you, you think about it and you reach a little bit more enlightenment, it's obvious that this discrimination is happening. It needs to be fixed. But it's easy to fix. You say, okay, well, you know, here are all these programs and all these opportunities, and now we open them up to women, and now women are taking part. And... Um, People are beginning to see this and understanding that that women are able, you know, completely capable of doing everything that just, you know, similar to them, their male counterparts. Um, when it comes to disability, I feel like we're we're moving in the same direction, but it is a little bit more gray because then now, in addition to this minority group, you you have individual issues of. Um, the, the, the fact that the, the minority causing characteristic has to do with physical ability and mobility and perhaps has to do with someone's ability to, to do physical tasks or, you know, something having to do with the quality or carrying out of the job. And, um, you know, I think that that looking at it broadly, we all understand or probably, you know, if we're, I don't know if we're preaching to the choir here, but we understand that, that pretty much everything can be done with 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 the right accommodation. And if we look at disability um, with an enlightened eye and understand um, what people are capable of and understand that in today's modern society with modern technology, that accommodations can be made such that someone can pretty much do anything and that, um, you know, if there, there there might be, you know, some obvious, obvious discrepancies or, or you know, times when that's not applicable such that, you know, Perhaps someone with a severe mobility impairment isn't going to be a fireman, but you know if that's their dream and that's their passion, and they find a lot of interest um, and drive to go with, to end that career path. There are many, many ways in which they can contribute to that realm of our society with accommodations. And so, um, I feel like we're getting there. I feel like um, it's not as simple of a fix as it is as it has been in the past um, with other groups that were at one time stigmatized or discriminated against. Um, and that a lot of it with disability also it, it goes very much to the, the foundation of changing people's um, conceptions of what's possible and, and breaking those stereotypes, um, you know, in, in, in a way in which people view, you know, people with disabilities first need to see themselves as being capable of it for the self-empowerment, but then also the people around them have to be able to look at them and believe it as well because otherwise they will face so many barriers within their culture that even if they believe in themselves, they still won't be able to reach their goals. And I agree with you so much because, to me, education is one of the keys to changing the mm -hmm. ignorance that is out there in this area, mm -hmm. and we're all working on it. We'll be right <laughs> back after this break. We're talking to the Paralympic star and Hearns Award winner, Sherry Blowett. We'll be right back. You're listening to Joyce Bender, the voice of VoiceAmerica.com as we celebrate Disability Employment Awareness Month. We'll be right back.
Bringing the world together. You're listening to America's Voice. VoiceAmerica.com At Vendor Consulting Services Incorporated, our mission is to provide superior technology consulting services to our customers while creating career opportunities, independence, and freedom for people with disabilities. While the demand for skilled technology professionals is reaching an all-time high, over 13 million disabled Americans, many of them experts in technology, remain unemployed. Since 1995, Bender Consulting Services Incorporated has worked to solve these critical social and business issues by providing employers with reliable talent and giving individuals with disabilities the chance to display their talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you're a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at BenderConsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.BenderConsult.com in the U.S., and www.benderofcanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom and independence for people with disabilities. www.benderconsult.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Hello, this is Rory Garay, President of Greyhound Pets of America and host of Greyhounds Made Great Pets on Voice America. Join me every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific and 2 p.m. Eastern for an insightful and enjoyable talk about one of man's best friends, the Greyhound. Learn about the history of the Greyhound, discuss proper obedience and training techniques, and find out more about the Greyhound racing industry and what they are doing to help the adoption effort of the former race star. If you own a Greyhound or just love dogs like I do, join me for Greyhounds Make Great Pets every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific right here on America's Voice. VoiceAmerica.com. The world leader in Internet Talk Radio. Internet Talk Radio. You're listening to America's Voice. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. If you have a question or comment for Joyce or her guest, please call toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now back to Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome back. Welcome back. We are talking to Sherry Ann Blowett, who is a gold medal winner, bronze medal winner from the Paralympics, Paul Hearn Award winner, academic scholar at Stanford, all around just tremendous individual that we're so excited to have with us. And listen, if you're listening to the show, any young person you know with a disability, make sure they didn't hear the show today. You have them come back to my website or go to Voice America to hear the archive show. Uh, but Sherry, I want to talk to you for a minute about your athletic career. First, I wanted to ask you, what made you decide to do that? What oh, uh, thought I want to. I'm going to. I'm going to get so involved in athletics that, you know, wow, you really got involved. <laughs> yeah, gold medal winner. You really got involved. Yeah, that's an easy question for me to answer. I love talking about sports. Um, <laughs> you know, I think. Um, it, well, it started out. It started. It was actually been a pretty normal progression. Um, it started out just going out for the team when I was a teenager because it was fun. Um, I actually. 
in high school, in ninth grade, um, the high school track coach came up to me in the hallway one day, and he said, you know, Sherry, we just went to the high school state track meet, and they now have two ex- wheelchair racing exhibition events there. And, you know, um, I know you haven't been involved in, you know, in sports here at school or on, with the track team in particular, but we'd love for you to give it a shot if you want. And, you know, that was kind of at the end of the season, so I had a while to think about it pretty much the whole year, um, you know, until the next season. And, you know, he kept he kept bugging me about it. He kept kind of tapping my shoulder in the hallway and asking, hey, you going to do it? you going to do it? And at the same time, he must have been, I didn't know it, but he was double teaming because then he must have talked to my parents because my parents at home were like, hey, you know, we think you should do it. And, um, you know, I was already... He was determined, this man. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, and, um, you know, I, I was already involved in a number of other things, so it wasn't that I was, un, you know, an uninvolved or unengaged student by any means. I was in band and student government and all of those things. And um, when the season rolled around, basically, you know, I decided to do a shot. I figured there was nothing to lose, but I was very reluctant and not very excited and kind of apathetic about it. And um, went out onto the track that first practice, and you know, for the through the I kept going. It wasn't I, I can't say at the beginning that it was that exciting. And honestly, I think I kept going because I, I basically never quit anything. Like I, I once I started it, I, I wasn't the type to quit. And um, so I would go with the with the high school track team to the high school track meets around in the region. There were a couple other girls um, in the area that were doing wheelchair racing events, but we didn't always even meet up at the same competition, so oftentimes I was like, the only one in the event. So it was kind of embarrassing, and, you know, it, I, I can honestly say at first it was a slow start. It, was, it wasn't that great. Um, and I was still in my everyday chair because I didn't really even know what a racing wheelchair was at the time. Uh, I had never seen one. I just was completely uninformed. Um what ended up happening is that I went to the high school state track meet and um, did these exhibition events. And when I was there, um, met a person who was coaching Iowa Junior Wheelchair Racing Team and met a couple other young women who were also racing on that team and saw that they had these racing wheelchairs. And that was basically my first introduction into the actual sport of wheelchair racing. So once I met them, um, then I started to go to Des Moines to um, the the Iowa Junior Wheelchair Track Team's practices um, about once every three or four weeks because it was about a five-hour drive. Um, but once I started doing that, then I was very—I was—I became much more motivated and um, had a more intuitive reason for staying involved because it was a great time. Because then I would go, and I was all of a sudden um, in the midst of all these other young people who also had disabilities, but who were really cool and really fun. And, of course, then I wanted to go because it was a really fun social thing for me to do. So I started going to um, regional meets with them um, and then the, also qualified to go to the um, National Junior Wheelchair um, Championships, which happen in a different city around the U.S. every year. Um, usually there's about two or 300 um, young people involved in that doing um, track and field and a few other sports. And that was always that ended up being through high school. I went most year, most every year, and that ended up being like the highlight of my year. And again, you know, it was so fun that I was then, of course, motivated to go to practice and to train a little bit and all that. But it was still, I would still say, it was recreationally based. So then, when I when I um, got towards graduation and started to look at colleges, um, a big drawing point um, were colleges that had adaptive sports programs because. Of course, I wanted to go, you know, to do an academic program that I was interested in, but it was a big perk to be able to go somewhere where I could also be on a sports team. Um, and the the two main programs I looked at were the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign and the University of Arizona in Tucson. 
and um, ended up down at the U of A um, for numerous reasons, both athletic and academic. Um, once I was there, then things started to step up very quickly because um, I w- was then a part of a college team, and it was club status team. It wasn't varsity or intercollegiate or NCAA or anything, um, which is a whole other story. But anyway, um, <laughs> once I was there and working out with them every day, then I had um, coaching expertise. I had people there to help me with my equipment, to tell me what kind of equipment I should get, show me tricks of the trade and all of that. And from there, things just kind of skyrocketed, and that's where I would say my competitive career started and um, ended up, uh, you know, starting to do road races around the country, a few even internationally, um, ended up at the Paralympic Games in Sydney. And then, again, things just continued to progress and progress. And, um, uh, I mean, make, to make a long story short, because this is getting long, I um, ended up graduating from the U of A, got into med school, here at Stanford, came out here, continued to train, but again now more on my own because Stanford doesn't have a team. And um, <clears throat> I think the older I get and the more I learn about the sport and about how to do it correctly and how to train effectively and efficiently, um, things just kept, I kept getting better and better because because of, um, I don't know, just, just learning the ropes and, you know, just just kind of doing it the, the normal way and kind of a stepwise rise to the, to, to the top. Well, and to the top you did go, let me say, you know, and by the way, that is far from you worrying about this story. The story is so exciting. <laughs> it's so exciting to hear you talk about this. And it was so exciting that, you know, you won these awards and um, and have competed in marathons. Didn't you compete in the, uh, don't they have in marathons a ra- wheelchair race also, correct? Yeah, yeah. I started, um, when I was in high school, I was doing mostly track, and then when I went to Arizona, I was started doing road, but I was doing more like 5K, 10K distance. And actually, right towards the end of my undergrad career at Arizona, I started to, to dive into the marathon distance. And actually, since then, that's been my main event. So, um, Such as the Boston Marathon. Such as Boston, New York, Los Angeles, and then a couple um, internationally as well. And we saw you in that come in first place. Yeah. Congratulations, yeah. and we, I don't know if you know this, but we announced that on this radio show. Really? Well, thank yes, you. we did. We announced <laughs> that on this radio show. And you know, uh, now, when you're in that marathon, that is how many miles again? 26. Yeah, 26. And why this is amazing to me is I am, for the first time, going to be in a walking half marathon. Mm-hmm. Walking. And to be in, you know, so I've never done this before, so I went to, you know, my friend, and she went to her friend, and my husband is actually running in it. But, you know, they said, hey, you're going to have to start training now. It's months and months away from now. And you're going to have to walk this many hours every day and, you know, this many on the weekend. And so, you know, as I'm doing this, and I was thinking about this this Saturday when I had for the first time to walk seven miles, and I'm thinking to myself, how the heck did Sherry Blawley train? (laughs) <laughs> to be in all of these things when she is in school. I mean, you were in school through this, right? Yeah. Yeah. How? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know if our listeners realize, but I am assuming that to train for all these events, this takes hours and hours of time. Yeah. Well, right? it's, an, it's yeah, it, the ability to do it well, well, okay, it's kind of, it's kind of morphed over time. Um, in undergrad, it was, it was manageable. Um the hours are pretty flexible in undergrad. You know, the studies are definitely, you know, can be very rigorous, but reasonable. <laughs> um, since coming to med school, it's been more an issue of 
extreme efficiency and time management and very very um, creative time management and um, and also a shifting of priorities and um, and being at a school that allows me to pursue this endeavor um, and gives me the flexibility to pursue it so um, when I came here um, I, I knew in applying to med school here that um, so the, the statistic they they give is that seventy five percent of of graduates from Stanford graduate in five years instead of four, and people people take that extra time to do um, a number of different things. Many of them do basic science bench research. Um, many of them do clinical research, either you know here or internationally. Um, some people do crazy athletic endeavors. <laughs> um, some people, you know, have children in that extra year. You know, if they if they want to start a family early. Um, but the you know the the crux of it is that that we have that flexibility to continue to to define ourselves and to pursue areas of our life that most definitely in many ways enhance our our careers as physicians and our ability either to understand science or medicine or to empathize with people or to have a broader understanding of the world and um so that was that first off that was that was very comforting that I knew that I would have the flexibility um so then for instance when when the opportunity ro- rolled around to go compete in Athens at the Paralympics um you know the games were mostly through September which is you know at the beginning of our fall quarter and I knew that it, would, it was going to be darn near impossible to miss a whole month of the quarter and then to come back and try to to recover that so I took last fall off I took a deferment um for that quarter and I competed in Athens and then actually I, um, did a few more races internationally, and then I did some work at the International Paralympic Committee headquarters in Germany for about five weeks, um, doing a project kind of looking at how you can promote um, both physical health but also um, attainment of human rights through using sport as a unique um, endeavor opportunity for self-empowerment. And, um you know, so aside from that, it's, 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 the daily is more, it's more just an issue of creative planning. It's a lot of early mornings. I often train before I go to class. Um, and then if I have to miss some class, all of our classes are taped so that I can watch it online later that night. Uh, and then it's efficiency both in training and in studying. You know, you, you, you sit down to do it and you get it done in the time that you have. <laughs> you don't mess around. That's right. Um, well, and it's, it's important opinion. to you, it works. In my opinion, it's also because you are a champion. And with that, we're going to go to break. We're going to break. We're talking to Sherry Ann Blowett about her gold medal and bronze medal award. You're listening to Joyce Bender, the voice of voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. The world leader in Internet Talk Radio. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. At Vendor Consulting Services Incorporated, our mission is to provide superior technology consulting services to our customers while creating career opportunities, independence, and freedom for people with disabilities. While the demand for skilled technology professionals is reaching an all-time high, over 13 million disabled Americans, many of them experts in technology, remain unemployed. Since 1995, Bender Consulting Services Incorporated has worked to solve these critical social and business issues by providing employers with reliable talent and giving individuals with disabilities the chance to display 
display their talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you're a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at BenderConsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.BenderConsult.com in the U.S. and www.BenderOfCanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom and independence for people with disabilities. www.BenderConsult.com I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Powerful Prayer with host Connie Coddington. Each week, Connie and her guests will explain the healing system called Christian Science and share stories of how they have used the spiritual laws of God to bring healing to their lives. You can learn how to bring healing to your life, too. So tune in to Powerful Prayer with host Connie Coddington every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, only on Voice America, America's Voice. My name is Maxine Thompson, and I am America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. The world leader in Internet talk radio. radio. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. If you have a question or comment, please call toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joyce Bender. Welcome back. And we've been talking today to Sherry Ann Blowett, who is gold medal winner, bronze medal award winner, Paul Hearn award winner, and now studying at Stanford to be a doctor. And speaking of that, since we did have many questions about one issue, uh, Sherry, we had many questions come in from people who either have paraplegia or spinal injuries about pressure sores, pressure points that, that result in having a sore. And as you well know, and many of my employees have lived through this, you know, they can be fatal. That is really mm-hmm. serious because this goes right through to the bone. Mm-hmm. And uh, the qu- question that many people ask related to, do you feel that sports help this in any way? Yeah, um, my my first disclaimer is that I'm I'm not yet a physician, much less a rehab physician or anything like that. Um, I can give my you know general knowledge of the topic and, and my personal opinion on it. Um, and then in five years, I can answer you. <laughs> I can answer you with a with a certified voice. Um, but anyway, I I feel um, I do feel that that participation in sports um, more than anything improves one's ability to be mobile and to be physically capable of repositioning more, moving around more. You know, not only are you you you're getting out of that that seat or that that seated position um, to transfer perhaps into a sports chair or something, um, but even more so than that, I, I think I think it does wonders for your gen- a person's general mobility. You know, transfers will be easier. Um, getting in and out of cars will probably be easier. Um, and you know, even j- just just being more active in general, 
I feel, um, starts you on a road where you're less likely to run into problems with pressure ulcerations and pressure sores. Yeah, that, and, you know, for one thing, the more active you are, this also would help, you know, if you're having problems with your weight. Exactly. You know, and it's all, it all comes, it, it's all just a spiral. You know, one thing leads to the next leads to the next. Yeah. And so, you know, you know, being more mobile, um, allows you to, um, you, you, I mean, it has many, um, secondary, secondary benefits of, you know, low, lower rates of obesity, um, having increased mobility, which of course are interrelated as well. Um, you know, even, even increased cardiovascular fitness and, you know, less risk of, you know, things like heart disease. Um, um, you know, more understanding diabetes, and e- diabetes, yeah. exactly. And one one thing I feel as well that's often hard to quantify and not study as much, but just as important is your own awareness of your body. So that you know, when you are out and moving and caring and taking care of your body and being aware of it, then you happen. It's things like noticing earlier when things are different. So, for example, you know, if you're mobile enough where you're transferring and you can you can do you know you can check yourself. Um, be, you know, more do more preventative um, self medicine. You could say, you know, knowing what's going wrong, reading your body, understanding, and knowing when things might not be quite right, and then and then seeking seeking an appointment with your physician or whatever it might be. All right, listen, we only have time for one last question, and it's right here from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and the question is, uh, Sherry, I really am trying hard to get more involved into sports. Uh, but, you know, my question is, do you have any advice or motivation for wheelchair users who want to try to do this but just have a fear of trying? Um, of course, of course, you know, and I think um, it goes to, uh, yeah, I, just do it. <laughs> um, but don't expect, you know, don't, don't be intimidated or expect miracles overnight um, and be patient with yourself. But the first thing is is to get out and to find a group of people who are doing it who you feel are motivating to you and and enhance you. So, you know, whether it's a local team, um, I don't know. I know know one of the the biggest, the hardest things to to overcome or to deal with for, for athletes or for people with disabilities who want to become athletes or who want to participate in sports is that often, especially if you're in a more rural area, it's hard to find programs and people who are doing it. And, you know, in that way, it's hard to find coaching and to learn about the sport. Um, if you're in an urban environment in a big city, it's typically a little bit easier because there will be stuff going on and you can go, you know, once a week on Tuesday nights to practice or whatever it might be. Um, but, you know, back to back to the question, I think, I think be patient with yourself, but understand, no deep down inside, that, you know, if you can motivate to get there that first, those first few times, almost, almost assuredly you'll enjoy it enough that you'll want to go back. And then, um, you know, and you can, you can find that drive within yourself and that, that ability to see yourself in a new light. And I mean, you know, it's, it's all about improving self-esteem, improving, um, how you view yourself, and then therefore, you know, when those things begin to 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 improve, then you know others also view you more positively. And I guess just just give it a shot and be patient and keep going. I agree. Just do it, Sherry. What did that mean to you when you won that Paul Hearn Award that night? 
Oh, man, that was an incredible night. Um, you know, it, <laughs> I, I, I try very, very hard to um, to maintain in the, the air of humility and um, in the air of, of interrelations with others. And I feel that at times when people people give you accolades or awards or titles or, you know, set you aside as being extraordinary in some way, as great as it is, and as much as it opens doors to other things, it also has a way of separating you from the people that you most want to try to reach and relate to on a very personal level. So I feel that it's very important to um, be very, you know, accepting, of course, like graciously accepting of, of the things, the honors that people bestow upon you, will also very much emphasizing the fact that you are still just like the people around you and you have similar histories and you understand where they're coming from and just like they understand where you're coming from and that we all have horrible days and good days <laughs> and we face many of the same challenges. And um, so that day when, when the AAPD gala came around, um, I felt exceptionally honored to be to be put into this group where, you know, I can look at the things I've done as an individual that I've chosen to do because I wanted to define myself in those ways. You know, I wanted to say Sherry is an athlete, Sherry is a medical student, um, you know, Sherry is an active person who is close with her family and friends and who really values the relationships to those who are important in her life. But and So taking those individual characteristics that I've chosen to pursue and then for someone to so significantly say, like, wow, Sherry, you know, what you've done as an individual has really done so much for us in return and will continue to do so much for us. That's, I feel, where um, the importance of that, the, the personal meaning in that award um, was most impactful. Well, it was a really wonderful, you know, to see you receive that and, you know, to remind everyone in this country how many people there are with disabilities that truly do have great ability oh, yeah. and are champions and can compete at all levels, mm-hmm. not to be pitied, but to be challenged. Mm, exactly. And, and, you know, that to me is what is so great about yeah. that uh, Paul Hearn Award. It is mm-hmm. just such a great thing. And yeah. how about you now? You plan? How do you plan on continuing to be a leader for people with disabilities? Well, um, <laughs> right now I, I, I'm trying to do the best I can to focus on school and to do this piece right for now. So, um as much as I'd like to um, extrapolate and dream and put thoughts in the air about about some grandiose plan, um, there are a lot of thoughts rolling around in my head. For now, the thought is to finish school successfully and to do it in a quality way um, in which I'm going to be the best doctor possible, but also I'm, I'm most making the biggest difference in the environment right around me. So as we're going into clinical rotations, I'm starting to look at... Um, what accommodations I'm going to need to successfully complete all different parts of my rotations. You know, I'm looking at a standing a standing chair um, so that I can belly up to the surgery table. Um, looking at um, accessible exam tables in the hospital here um, to try to change the local environment. Um, well, you know what I say. <laughs> I tell people all the time: if you're doing a great job, you're doing so much right there. Exactly. For now, that's that's Sarah, goal number one. <laughs> before we go, do you have a message you want to leave with our listeners today? Oh, sure. I mean, I think um, 
I think number one goes back to, you know, the question from the listener from, I believe it was Pennsylvania, um, and the, the same response that I gave to her, and that's just don't, don't fear the unknown, and um, go ahead and put that first foot forward or that first wheel forward or whatever it might be, and don't be afraid to, um, you know, and for people who are, who are in a mentoring role or who are working with people with disabilities, don't be afraid to tell people what they can do and to challenge them. And to say, I feel often that, that people rise to the occasion when they're challenged. Well, Sherry, we take that on, and I want to thank you for being a guest on our show. We end every show with a quote. This is from President Clinton. When talking about Justin Dart, he said, in his own way, he has the most Olympian spirit I believe I've ever come across, <laughs> the revolution of empowerment. And isn't that what it's all about? Sherry Blawett, being the best doctor you can be, you're going to change the world right there. To all of our listeners, we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Joyce Bender, the voice of voiceamerica.com. See you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.